Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. And I just want to welcome everyone this morning and those who are watching us online and those who are here in person. Just bear with me. The sun is beating right on my face, so sometimes I may be squinting just to look at you. I know we just launched a new series for 2022, Our Journey Through the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is written with threefold purposes. Now, let me go through it very quickly with you. Number one, it is evangelistic. Seeking to convert others. We looked at this last week. The scripture that we find here is called, is from John chapter 20, verse 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Secondly, it is written, it's as an exhortative, an attempt to strongly encourage believers in their walk. The, The scripture says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple. Number three, this is also apologetic, defending religious doctrines through systematic argumentation. And the passage is exactly what you're going to look at today. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So today's teaching is taken from that. Now, church, John writes to everyone, pagans and believers, to show Jesus' identity, the true identity, as the incarnate God-man, the prophesied Christ, or the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Now, today's sermon is both teaching and preaching. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Please take a notebook, and I hope you already have one, and a pen, and I want you to turn to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And I want you to take down copious notes as the Spirit enlightens or teaches you this morning. The first five verses of John's gospel say quite a lot about Jesus. It's a grand introduction to the Son of God and the Savior of the world. The gospel of John opens with the declaration of the deity of Christ. Church, this is paramount because it introduces Christ as the Word, a key to the study of Christology. It simply means the study of knowing who Christ is. This lays the foundation for our faith. Church, let me pause here for a moment because this is the foundation of our faith. It is important for us to understand the author and the authenticity of this declaration. The reason this is important, please listen, It's apologetic, I told you earlier, because there's a large group of liberal modernistic scholars who argue, even today, 
you may have come across people like that, that the Gospels were gradually compiled by early Christians in later generations to justify their faith, and hear me out this, and they were not written by inspired men who were present during the time frame of Jesus' ministry. They say it's all a made-up story to match up with the history that was created by some Christians. So let us break it down. I know last Sunday we looked at the overview of the gospel. Primarily, we focused on the content of the gospel of John. But how about the author? Who is the author? Of course, it is John, an apostle of Jesus. And listen, church, he is indeed an eyewitness of Jesus' ministry. See, church, John himself attests to that. Look at this passage of Scripture in John 21, verse number 24. This is the disciple, referring to the writer, who testifies of these things. The one who has witnessed these things, that's what the writer says. And he's the one who wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. So how do we know that he witnessed the whole thing? That he was present with the Lord Jesus Christ. We looked at some facts last time as I went through the introduction to the Gospel of John. John is the only one who talks about the, the, the encounter with the Samaritan woman and, the Nicod and Nicodemus. How would John know if he had been not present or witnessed these incidents? John was very specific about Peter chopping the ear of the high priest servant. And not only that, if you read John's gospel, I, I believe it's in chapter 18, he even named the, 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 the soldier whose ear was chopped off as Malchus. It's only in another gospel, the gospel of Luke, you have this particular incident recorded, but there Luke says this way, as one of them cut off his right ear. The one who cut, the name was not given, the victim's name was not given as well in Luke. But John gives it because he was present there and he knew what it was, who it was. And even Mark, another gospel writer, who is not related or connected to John, he wrote that John was with Jesus as Jesus went into Jairus' house and as he was brought his daughter back to life. There were three of them with them and Mark chapter 5, Mark writes that John was there with the Lord. The Synoptic Gospels, all three, records that John was present at the Transfiguration. All three Gospels, even though John doesn't mention that. Uh, Matthew, another Gospel writer, he records on the night of betrayal at the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus asked the trio to keep watch while he was praying, the trio was one of them was John. This very John we are talking about. There, of course, there are many other examples, but what we are seeing, that not only John says that he was an eyewitness, the synoptic gospel authors vouch for his physical presence with the Lord Jesus Christ. So we know that the author is John the Apostle, who is an eyewitness. So this is a first-hand witness. Church, it is not a heresy, it's not a hearsay. 
Not only we know that the author is an eyewitness, we also know that the Scripture is an inspired Word of God. And we see that in Paul's writing to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. So church, this one refutes the false theory of the modernistic scholars. The gospel is indeed the inspired word of God written by an apostle who was an eyewitness. So now our foundation is solid. I hope you understand and I hope you are with me, church. Because if you are not convinced, let me put it this way, nothing will strike our minds. Nothing. We are not going to gain anything out of the Gospel of John. We'll be like the modernistic scholars, allowing the devil to question the Scriptures. So with that confidence, knowing that we know the author was an eyewitness, and knowing the, the, the authenticity that these are inspired Word of God, let us dive into today's passage. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Let me read this to you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Church, we are looking at the very first chapter of the gospel according to John. Did you notice something here, church? John did not include the nativity story here in his gospel. There is no Joseph, no Mary, no shepherds, and no wise men. Instead, John introduced his book going back even further into history. He opens with this phrase, in the beginning, in the beginning. By invoking the in the beginning language of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, John is making a direct link between the nature of God and the nature of the Word, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to look at that in a moment. So verse 1 starts with in the beginning. In the beginning. What does this mean? Where else do we find this? And this is how exactly the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, also starts. And I want you to see these two verses here, please. Genesis chapter 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the, wo and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, Genesis 1, 1 is talking about the beginning of the physical world, the creation of the universe. Please come along with me very carefully and take down notes as you want because I want you to grasp the key points here. As we look at the physical creation of this whole universe, there are a few things that I want, that there are key points that I want us to observe. Firstly, scientists are now convinced, whether it's right or wrong is a different matter for argument, that the universe came into existence from a point of explosion, what they call the Big Bang Theory. We all know about that. Secondly, this explosion is the one that brought the space, time, and matter. Thirdly, therefore, 
whoever caused the explosion needs to be beyond space, time, and matter. In other words, church, the initiator of the Big Bang needs to be timeless, spaceless, matterless, or materialless. Fourthly, he also needs to be an intelligent mind since our planet is so finely tuned and designed. So considering these four points, it becomes simple to understand that this is a clear description of the God of the Bible who is beyond time, space, and matter and is of an intelligent mind. Now, I'm not in any way inferring that about the Big Bang Theory. I just want us to understand the God of the Bible. So in churches today, we love to teach, preach, and debate creation. Now, we often teach on what God created. We preach on how God created. We debate on when God created the world. The question we must ask, church, is then, why God created? Why God created? The reason God created the universe is far more important than how and when. When we understand why, we will understand other questions regarding creation even better. So in reading all of Genesis 1, there is one phrase you will find repeated. And what was that phrase? And God said. Remember that? Throughout the book of Genesis, in chapter 1, verse 1, that's what you find. Chapter 1, that's what you find. And God said, and God reminds us, at least nine times in this chapter, that he spoke and creation came into existence. He spoke and creation came into existence. This is a huge truth to understand. And further, if you look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, look at this. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And what is the next line? The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit of, so the Spirit of God. Church, note this. We see God the Father speaking specifically and now in verse 2, we find God the Spirit hovering over the face of the waters. Have you ever wondered, have you ever asked the question, where is God the Son in this passage? Where is He? Here is where all comes together, church. God the Son is very present in this picture of creation. But he is God's mystery concealed for centuries. The Old Testament is God's great mystery concealed. And the New Testament, in the New Testament, God reveals his great mystery. So it looks as if Apostle John opens the Old Testament scroll and writes with great excitement to reveal this secret to the churches today. John reflects the wording of Genesis 1 when he writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
So why did God speak everything into existence? He did so, listen church, because he wanted to create everything through his word, and the word is Jesus. We can look at that shortly in John 1 verse 14. So hold on to your seat belts. We'll be studying that soon. God made everything through his word, and we learned that God made everything for his word. God's great mystery concealed for thousands of years is now proclaimed publicly, written down for all to know the universe was created through and for Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament church points to Jesus because God planned that Jesus would receive the glory as all things find their fulfillment in him. Church, know this place. Jesus is not merely the reason God created, nor is he merely the means by which God created. Jesus is in every way the God who created, who was fully present in the creation of the world. This is what the Holy Spirit is teaching us through the first five verses in John chapter 1. Let us break, break down the text now. Now see, you know, I always encourage you, when you read a passage of Scripture, you try to break it down into thought units and to give a title to that. I've told that to you many times, so let's do that right now. Let's look at the verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And the title I like to give for that is that this is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hold on to your seatbelts. I'm going to explain that in a minute. The person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at the next one. Verse number two. Verse number three. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. The title I want to give is The Power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read verses 4 and 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And the title I like to give for that is The Purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's examine the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and let's break down the first verse into three parts, which is in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. So in the beginning, let's look at that again. In the beginning was the Word. What do we learn from this? Now, Word did not have a beginning. That's what you are taking from this. Word has always existed. Church, the term was here is the imperfect tense. What do I mean by that? It signifies an action of the past that continues into the present. So in other words, you can read this phrase this way. In the beginning was the word, is the word, and always will be the word. In the beginning was the Word, is the Word, and always will be the Word. So the question is, who is the Word? And we find the answer in, in John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word, what happened? Became flesh and dwelt among us. 
the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So this verse 14 identifies the Word as the one who became flesh and dwelt among us. Who is this referring to church? This is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So what do we take from this church? First, that Jesus was in the beginning with God. The Bible does not say he had a beginning, that he has already there in the beginning. I just wanted to note one thing, church. While in terms of Jesus' humanity, Jesus had a human genealogy. Joseph and the fathers and keep going and going up to Jesse. We read this in the Synoptic Gospels. Matthew's Gospels give the whole genealogy of Jesus. In terms of his deity, the divinity, he has no genealogy. So the first thing that we learn from this, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, is that Jesus is eternally God. Eternally God. So let's move on to the second part of it. The same verse, verse number one. In the beginning was the Word. And then it says, and the Word was with God. The Word was with God. In other words, it means that Jesus was in the beginning with God. The term with means face to face or towards. It speaks of an intimate relationship or a fellowship. The Word is God's equal. That's what he's referring to here. So the word in this verse is the Greek word logos. It refers to speech, reasoning, and expl explanation, a word about something that is who Jesus is. He's called the word because the word is a visible expression of an invisible thought. Jesus is the perfect expression of who God is. Jesus is everything God is about in human form. Father is distinct from the Son, and the Son is distinct from the Father, but they are equally God. Yet they are separate persons. So the second thing that we are learning from the person of the Lord Jesus Christ from this text is not only eternally God, He is equally God. Jesus is equally God. Let's move on to the third part of it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. I'm still on verse number one. And they said, the Word was God. The Word was God. What does it mean, church? The Word, not only co-eternal and co-equal with God, the Word is God. That's what the Bible says here. I want you to see Jesus' proclamation about this. In John 14, you know the John 14 passage, the disciples are worried that Jesus was going to leave them, and he calls them and comforts them, do not be afraid, and he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I do, I'm going to come back and take you to be with me, and he goes on to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. Then Jesus says in verse 7 of chapter 14, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on you know him and have seen him. And our friend Philip couldn't keep his mouth shut. So he was there. He said, Lord, show us the Father. And it is sufficient for us. Naturally, Jesus would have got disturbed about this. So Jesus looked at Philip and said, Have I been with you for so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? And see what he says after that. 
John, yes, John 14, the reference is wrong there, sorry about that. It's John 14, verse number 9, 8, letter part. He who has seen me has seen the Father. He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And again in John 10, 30, Jesus tells the Jews in the, when he was surrounded in the temple in Solomon's porch, he says, I and my Father are one. And in John chapter 8, you'll see that later we are going to study about this. Speaking to the Jews, the Lord said, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. A term that the Jews can understand, church, when they talk about I am, their ears and everything will go back to the book of Exodus. Because they can refer that to Yahweh. And here Jesus is saying, before Abraham, I am. So the third thing we learn in these two verses is not only he is eternally God, that he is equally God, he is essentially God. He is God. Church, follow along with me carefully now. Do you know how the devil is distorting the word? I told you this section is apologetic. Now this is what our text says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? That's what he looked at. I wanted to say this. In the Jehovah Witnesses Bible, which is the New World Translation, this is how the devil has twisted the text a little bit. Look at this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God a small g. So by saying that Jesus is not God, capital G, but rather merely a God, small g, Jehovah's Witness believe they can justify their diminished view of who Jesus is and refute the concept of Trinity. You know, it's fairly easy, church, to show through the Greek wording and the grammar and the biblical and cultural background that their interpretation is erroneous. I'm sure there'll be people who are curious about this, and my suggestion is let's do it during a Bible study time, because I don't have time to go through that. So what have we learned so far from this passage is that He is eternally God, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is equally God, He existed with God, and He is essentially God, He is God. That's what He looked at. So let's move on to the second part of it. We are going to look at verse number 3. All things were made, we are looking at the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. He was the maker of creation. That's what you're talking about here. Now hear me, church. See the humility of Christ here in this passage. The creator of creation, I just established his Lord Jesus Christ, humbled himself to become a creature in creation. 
What do I mean? Church, listen. Jesus, who was the agent of creation, stepped out of eternity, laid aside his glory, and entered this world as a human baby because he loved you and me. Because he wanted to give us the gift of salvation. Now, you know that scripture validates scripture. So let's see what the scripture says about Jesus being the creator of the universe. I'm going to quickly go through some passages of scripture with you. Number one, Paul writes to Ephesians church and he says, And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, that's what I mentioned earlier, who created all things through Jesus Christ. And the Hebrew writer says this, look at this. Uh, Hebrew 1-2, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom the Son is the Lord Jesus Christ, he made the worlds. And then in the book of Revelation, our, our apostle John is writing this, you are worthy, O Lord, referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he says, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your by your will, they exist and were created. Come with me slowly, church. Let us read this verse again. Verse number three. All things were made through Him. All things were made through Him. I told you this is apologetic. We are trying to defend our belief. Because this is what the critics say. What the critics say is they pick the verse here and they say that all things does not include himself. And they claim that Jesus was not eternal, not God, he was not eternal, he was not eternally begotten, but rather Jesus was created, hear me out, but he was the first of creation. He was the highest of the high angels. That was one argument. But what does this verse say to us? Read the rest of the verse here, church, as you, as you do this. And without him, nothing was made that was made. Without him, nothing was made that was made. What does it mean? It means that anything in the category of made... Anything. Who made it? Christ made it. Christ made it. So before anything was made, He was. He is not only the maker of creation, He is the master of creation. Look at this passage. He is the one, He is the power that holds everything together. We studied that in the book of Colossians, but I'm going to bring it to your attention again. Now, we are looking at Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. In verse 16, it says, For by him all things were created, that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him, Jesus Christ, and for him, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Church, you know what the word consists mean? It holds it together. The glue of the galaxies. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. So in summary, what we have learned 
the, about the power of the Lord Jesus Christ is this. Number one, He's the maker of creation. That's what He, that's what he does. That's what you're learning. And number two is that because He created you as well, and to me, everyone, and not only that, He's the master of creation. What does that mean to us? He has a plan for every one of us. If He's the one who created us, He has a plan for you and I. Let's move on to verses 4 and 5. We come to, back to the application in a bit later. In Him, verse number 4 and 5, was life, and the life was the light of men. In Him was life. When Jesus came into the world, He entered a world filled with dead men. The sad part is, men who didn't know that they were dead. You know, we were like the chicken without, with the head chopped off. And we are still flopping around in the ground, thinking that we are alive. That is the state that we were in before we came to know the Lord. But Jesus brought life. In Him was life to those of us who were dead. And He's still doing it for us who are like the chicken without the head. If you have not really accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you are spiritually like a chicken without the head, flopping around. See what the Lord's saying in, uh, in the Apostle John is saying here. Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who has sent me has everlasting life, the Lord Jesus is saying, and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. The Lord Jesus came to give us life. Look at another passage in 1 John 5, 12. And he said, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. So the purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ is he came into, to bring life into darkness, into our lives. In him, we have life. And the second part of verse number five, look at that. It says, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. What do you take from this church? Jesus is the light that is shining always, but the darkness did not comprehend it. Jesus wants to bring light into our dark world. But we, don't, we cannot comprehend it. We reject it. We refuse it. We make our own lights, which snuffs out in every trial. Who is this Jesus? Look at John 8, 12. I wanted to see this passage. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying that, I am the light of the world. I am the one who is going to shed light in the darkness. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So the purpose Jesus came was to deliver us from darkness. And Jesus gave these re reasons why we men and women reject light. Look at this passage. John 3.19 And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because 
their deeds were evil. Their deeds were evil. We love darkness because we thrive in it, because we can be ourselves, we can cater to our carnal needs, we can run from God. We can run from God. Church, I want you to remember one thing. You can think that you can run from God, but can never hide from Him. You can never hide from Him. So church, as I bring this message to a close, we looked at three, three aspects of it here. The purpose, I'm sorry, the purpose of our Lord Jesus Christ is to bring life to the deadness and also to bring light to the darkness. Now, let me conclude this. The person of the Lord Jesus Christ we looked at, He is eternally God, He is equally God, and He is essentially God. Let me pause there for a moment. He is our God. He is our refuge and strength. He is our creator. The creator created us for his glory. The Bible is very clear. In the book of Isaiah, we find that everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed him, yes, I have made him. In the same book of chapter 43 of the book of Isaiah, verse 21, the Bible says, the people I have formed for myself, they shall declare my praise. That's why at the very beginning today, as you open the service, we heard the passage being read from Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of the hands. Jesus, just as the heavens reflect who God is, you and I need to reflect our Creator. His glory must be projected from the testimony of our lives. Can that be told of you? Secondly, as we look at this, we are looking at the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He is the maker of creation. He is the maker of creation. And He is the master of creation. All that we possess, church, listen carefully, all that we have are gifts our music, our intellect, our, our, our education, our, our wealth, our money, everything that we possess. Everything contains the fingerprints of God because He is the one who made it. When you remember that, when you realize that all that you have is given by Him and His fingerprints is shown on that, it will shrink our pride. It will shrink our pride. It's nothing of my own. It's His mercy. It's His grace. Everything that we have is given to us. So what do we do with it? What are we doing with everything that God has given to us? Church, it is given for His glory. And we must use it for His glory. So if you are serving God, do not think that you are doing any favor to God. If you are doing anything for His kingdom, you are not doing any favor to God. He doesn't need any help. You are doing it because He gave it to you. He gave it to you in the first place. You are doing it by glorifying God. 
Thirdly, we spoke about the purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we said there are two things. He brings life into darkness, and He brings light. I'm sorry, life into deadness, and light into darkness. Are you dead in sin? Are you struggling with sin? Are you struggling with habits that you cannot overcome? I tried every possible means of overcoming my temptation, I cannot. Are you weak and feeble and you are ready to give up? Church, I want to tell you, the Lord Jesus Christ, He came and He brings life into our deadness. No matter what we are facing, He is there to give us life. Not only that, if you are someone who is struggling and you are in suffering in a dark world, Lord, I need to break free from this. I need to know what steps I need to take. Church, He is our light. He is our guide. He is our shelter. You know, the Bible says, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Today you heard the message about who this Jesus is. You have a choice today, church. Today. If you truly understand who this Jesus, Jesus is, if you understand the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and the, and the power of, of the Lord Jesus Christ and the purpose why He came into this world, you know what you will do? You will humble yourself. You will bow down before Him. And you will declare, God, Lord my God, here I am. Because if you don't bow down today, here's what the Bible says in Philippians Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. We're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every knee. And of those in heaven and those on earth, and of those under the earth, every person who ever lived on this face of this earth, ever living in the face of this earth, ever will be living until the Lord comes. And, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord. So I encourage you, church. If you need salvation, come to Him. Come to Him. He will forgive you. And He will give you the greatest gift of salvation. If you want to surrender yourself, you're a believer. I'm walking in darkness. Yes, I accepted Christ, but I'm walking in darkness. He is the light. He wants to shed the light. He wants to redeem you. He wants to give life to this deadness in your life. Come to Him. Come to me, all those who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. That's His cry to you. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for ministering to us today 
and to revealing to us who this person of the Lord Jesus Christ is. Knowing that he is eternally God, equally God, and he is God. And this morning as we come together, we declare with our mouths that he is God. He is my God. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is my Lord. Because we know that you are the maker. You are the one who created me. You are the one you put me together in my mother's womb. And not only that, Master, you are the master of the creation, that you are the one who has ordained the number of days for me in this world. And as I live in this world, help me, O oh God, to bring glory to you by the testimony of my life. And if ever I am struggling with sin in my life, let me realize today that you are the one who gives life in the deadness of my life. So pray that as I come to you, Master, that you will revive me today. And I pray that if I'm walking in darkness, not knowing which direction I should be going, surrounded by the work of the devil, I pray that this morning I'll come to the feet of the Christ and receive that light through which I'll be able to see and disperse the darkness and choose the path of righteousness. Master, there are so many who are watching this online. And you know every heart, you know every need of every heart. If it is salvation, may they receive it today. If it is sanctification, may that happen today, O God. Because knowing that there will come a day that all these knees will bow and all these tongues will confess that Jesus is our Lord. We thank you, we praise you, we exalt your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.